was in his word in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kim. Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing okay today? Good. Glad you guys are here. My name is Ben. If I haven't met you yet, I am one of uh, the pastors here. I get to serve as lead pastor in uh, Frontline Shawnee. And I want to talk to all of the women in the room real quick. It is Mother's Day, so it's appropriate for me to talk to you. Uh, I want to acknowledge a few things as I talk to the women in the room. Um, I, it's not lost on me that this is not an easy day. Um, it's also not lost on me that if you, um, if you are a mom, that there's a, not a mom in the history of the world that has ever thought that they were a good mom, even if they were actually a good mom. I haven't met a mom who said, you know what, I crush it. I crush it. I'm the be- you ain't going to believe how good of a mom I actually am. I've never met a mom yet, uh, including my mom, who is phenomenal, uh, to actually say that. There's a lot of pain in the room. There's a lot of weariness, like Beck uh, said to us. So maybe there's, a, there's multiple things I could list out. Um, uh, just uh, rela- relational strife within homes. Uh, maybe you don't think uh, about your mom in a, in a very like loving <laughs> and godly way. I don't know what the deal is, or maybe there's some of you in the room that have even wanted to be moms, and you haven't been able to do that yet. You've lost children. I don't know what it is. There's also the reality that it is a good thing biblically. Motherhood is a good thing. There are spiritual sisters in the room. There are spiritual moms in the room. That's just as important in so many ways. So to the women in the room, look at me. God has uniquely made you, and he did it. He formed you in your mother's womb. God did that. He made you uniquely, fashioned you exactly the way that you are. God did that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody else can take credit for the way that you are uniquely made. You are uniquely made for his kingdom and his glory and to worship him. You're also uniquely made to bring others to worship him. And it is a fact, this is a fact, that we do not have a full picture of the glory and majesty and goodness and splendor and love and beauty and intellect and creativity and strength and power of God if we don't have you, okay? You help us understand and know who God fully is. We were made to compliment one one another to worship God. And you are a compliment, believe me. We love you today. Be blessed in Jesus. My prayer for you today is that maybe God would lift some of the weight and some of the craziness that you feel in your life. I could never do half the things that you do. You are uniquely made by God and we love you. So I wanna invite the men in the room to do what we should have done a little while ago and let's stand and let's applaud all of these women in this room today.
All right. That's right. We could have done that for a long time. Maybe we should have. We love you guys. Be seated. Um, all right. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been talking through this book. We're in a portion now of the scripture um, that approaches something that may or may not be helpful or scary to a lot of you in the room. When I say to you, the Holy Spirit is alive right now. He has gifts for the church right now. And also, you cannot control the gifts that he has for the church right now. When I tell you that, there are things that happen in a room where all of a sudden when I say you can't control something, which we would never admit out loud, but we immediately put a wall up and go, whatever do you mean, pastor? I firmly believe that I can control God. The problem is, is that you can't. And the sooner we get to realize that, the better we'll be. Paul spends two full chapters, not the only place, but one of the most comprehensive places in the Bible where he spends two full chapters talking about something that I feel like is such a desperate need for the church right now that we cannot go any further without acknowledging our need for the gifts, the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church. And not just for the people in the room, but also for the world outside of this room. It is crucial, it is not hyperbolic for me to say this. The most important thing I feel like for our church and for the church in the world, the most important thing is that we've gotten so good at manufacturing the power of God that we're actually void of the, power, the actual power of God. We need the power of God for the church. Some of us in the room today are wondering why we're so bored with the church, are wondering why it's so hard for us to sort of get out of bed, to follow Jesus. <clears throat> One thing is true is that it just is hard. Another thing is true is that we're missing the thing that was given to us to pour fuel into our tank for Jesus. That's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and then in our daily life. And in Corinth, they ran into a thing that we run into. In this church in Corinthians, Paul is answering questions and he's doing it in a corrective way to a church that had gone off the rails. This church, a lot like ours, loved the idea of them being the special one that had the special gifts from God, that God had specially given them and not given other people. And so what they do now is they take spiritual gifts, hello, something you didn't earn, a gift, and they say, God has given me wisdom, and therefore I'm gonna wage war with those of you who don't have these unique spiritual gifts. So in turn, what I'm saying is this, Instead of those gifts being used to edify the church and speak the gospel to the rest of the world, what happens is it turns into waging war with one another. So today, I can't tell you how important it is for us to get this right, to really get this right, to lay down all of our sort of ideas of how we can, all of our walls, our ideas of how we can sort of control God, to lay it down and go, God, what do you want? And to understand something. There is no one in this room today that is more sane than the Holy Spirit. He is the most sane, stable, intelligent. He defines normal. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit. There's nobody in the room today more sane than him. There's nobody more wise than him. There's nobody more committed to the mission of the church than the Holy Spirit. We actually need him. And Jesus lived his life 
perfectly. Healing, prophetic words, utterances, Jesus did all of that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to submit to you today is if Jesus Christ himself needed the power of the Holy Spirit to live, then maybe you do too. So let's open our Bibles, man. We got a lot of work to do. I'm feeling fired up. I stood in the pouring rain yesterday for it rained on us. We had a wedding outside at my house. And for those of you who were there, there was a handful of people. We worked so hard. It was so beautiful. It was so wonderful. We set the table and we said, surely it won't rain. And sure enough, it did. It was the hardest rain for 15 minutes I've ever seen in my life. And so I've drank too much coffee this morning. I'm a little tired, but I bring that up to just say this, man. It's like, you know, I watched what happened with that group of people yesterday in that wedding. It was a group of people that stood out in the rain and they danced and they said, we're gonna do this anyway. And the reason I bring that up before prayer is because of this. It is maybe the primary function of the Holy Spirit is to bring unity within a group of people, to bring unity within the church. And what we've gotta do is we've gotta set ourselves straight to go, man, there's no way we're gonna be able to function as the church in unity and community without the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm gonna pray for you, you pray for me. Let's ask for God the Holy Spirit to come today and fill us up. Holy Spirit, we do want your presence and we need it. We ask for your power today. God, I ask for deliverance in the room. I ask for the release of your manifest presence. Would you come and visit us? Help us, one, hear the word and receive it and be changed by it. And then bring healing, bring healing. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit of context before we go, and I'm gonna go kind of fast today, but I've got notes available for you guys. If you want them, we'll have stuff on the screen as well. Just to rewind and let you know what is happening in this town and with these people. In the town of Corinth, God planted a church. He did it through Paul. Uh, They were obsessed with a lot of things, but one of the things that they became obsessed with is what was happening in the culture around them. In the culture around them, which was Greco-Roman, Greece and Rome, Greek, Greek philosophy, Greek knowledge, Roman government, Roman politics, all obsessed with wisdom and knowledge. And so the church in Corinth became obsessed with wisdom and knowledge as well. So much so that they said, I have more knowledge and wisdom from God than you do, like we said earlier. And you have less than I do, therefore I am better than you. And Paul is now coming in and he's correcting them and he's saying, wait a minute, you have actually missed the point of spiritual gifts if it leads to competition and some sort of hierarchy in the church. And let me prove my point to you. We're gonna start in verse four and go to verse uh, seven. Verse four says this, 1 Corinthians 12, four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each, to each, you're not special, unique. God has given to each in one for the common good. He says this, there are varieties of gifts, but what? It's the same Spirit that it comes from. Your gift comes to you from God, and so does mine, and so does the person next to you. There are also varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So he's saying this to them, and he's saying it to us now. Get off your high horse about your spiritual gifts. God gave you what you have. 
You did not earn it. God did not look on you and say that person is smarter than the person next to them and also better looking. I should give them the gift of prophecy or wisdom or insight. Although sometimes smart and better looking people think that they've got all the gifts. God has given it to each person as he wills. There are varieties of gifts given by the same spirit. No spiritual special agents. Nobody able to be puffed up. No quote unquote new prophets. And what I mean by that is this. Jesus was the final prophet of God. Old Testament prophets fulfilled in Jesus. And there are sometimes some people that walk around and say, I'm so uniquely prophetically gifted that I'm going to call myself a prophet and therefore you should treat me as such. Which means this, you don't have the things from God that I have. So I'm able to tell you whatever I want to tell you and you just have to listen. You know why? Because my title is prophet. If anybody ever tells you that, run the other way. It's not real. It's not real. There are prophetic giftings. But this idea that I am somehow unique to you or that you can't also hear from God in the same way that I can is not real. It's not real. The gifts of the prophetic. There are some people that are more gifted in certain ways than that, for sure. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, little bit. But the idea that there are special agents for God is antithetical to what the Bible says. And it's this. Everybody participates. Varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers everyone. To each is given the manifest, manifestation of the spirit. I'm going to repeat that, and then I'm going to ask you to repeat it. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit. To is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. The word common good there is an interesting phrase. It would have been known immediately what that meant culturally. In the Greco-Roman world, they had a phrase that they had adopted called common good, both for Rome and Greece. It was this idea that was implanted in them. Part of, part of the reason that Rome was so amazing in government and, and communal body. The common good would have meant that everybody agreed that they were going to lay down their rights for the good of the city that they were in. And what I mean by that is this. Paul is now writing to the church, and he is telling them that the gifts of the Spirit are demonstrated. They're actually given to each one of you, the manifestation of the Spirit, not just for the church, but also the world around you. It's basically this. It's better for the world. It's better for the outsider that we walk by the fruit and the power of the Spirit. What an interesting thing to think. Why is that? Here's why. Because what people need the most, I cannot say this more emphatically, what your neighbors, what you, what your friends that don't know Jesus, what this town, what we need the most is not great city plans. Those are good. I love city planners. I think they're amazing. What they need the most is, is not more local businesses or restaurants, although somebody say amen, we, we, we'll take some local restaurants. What they need the most is not like better third wave coffee shops, although we love those as well. That is not what people need the most. What they need the most is the power and the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. That's what they need. And Paul is saying to each is given the manifestations of the Spirit. Why? Because that's what people need the most for the common good. 
If you look at the history of revivals in America and in the world, there's two ways to define these, and there's no need getting caught in the weeds. There's renewals, which is when the church is renewed. When the church, the outpouring of the Spirit, which I think is one of the things that was happening in Asbury recently. Renewal. Christians going, man, I forgot about God. I'm hungry for God again. That's what I think that's happened in our church multiple times. That will happen throughout your life multiple times. We all need renewal. Then there's revival, which is a unique outpouring of the Holy Spirit where people just get saved and they don't know why. This is what Paul starts this book with to say, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, it is the power of God unto salvation. Revival is when the Holy Spirit breaks into a place and you cannot explain why people just walk in the door and get saved. You cannot explain all of a sudden how your neighbors that you've been trying to talk to for years about Jesus, they all of a sudden listen. The Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, what happened with Charles Spurgeon in London. There are stories about Charles Spurgeon in London, and I can't remember the name of the church there, um, but this giant church in a town that wanted nothing to do with God, and there are stories of people in, in the 1800s in a horse and carriage that would simply just ride by the church and fall out in the spirit and be saved. They're not on their way to church. Nobody staged them. Nobody's filming it to put it on YouTube in the horse and carriage. And they fall out just driving by the church. Somebody, now explain that to me. That's historical accounts. They're not looking for God. That is revival. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can do that. What they need more than anything in the world what the whole world needs, what you need today is the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Andrew Wilson says it this way. He says, the exaltation of Jesus as Lord is the clearest sign of the Spirit's work. But another clear indication is what Paul calls the common good. Spiritual gifts are given for the advantage of everybody in the church, a point Paul will make frequently in these chapters. They're not given so that the individual using them can parade their spirituality or show off or have an ecstatic experience which brings no benefit to anyone else. Nor are they given to a small set of elite believers to mark them out as genuinely spiritual in contrast to the rest of the church. The manifestation of the Spirit given to each one, including you, for the benefit of everybody. My great fear, and it really is my greatest fear for our church, is that we will become comfortable with just trying to manufacture the power of God. That is a thing that has happened in the American church, period. Manufacturing God's power. And what I'm about to say is none of these things are bad. But when they replace Jesus or the power and the presence or the hunger and desperation for God, things like great music, great bands, good communication from the stage, great video clips to post on wherever, lights and turn the lights down in a certain way and put a certain amount of lights on the stage or whatever. Again, none of that, I'm telling you, none of that is bad. And I'm actually not even talking about one church. I think pastors have a tough job. We love all churches at this church. But we've gotten to the place where we have tried to manufacture and even manipulate the power of God in such a way as opposed to the thing that actually gets us there, which is this, desperation, hunger, and prayer. My fear for our church and for the American church, but particularly us, is that we are gonna miss 
an opportunity for the power and presence of God just by doing same old, same old. I want us to be stirred up for prayer. I want us to be stirred up for hunger to see God move in a unique way. And I want us to be faithful in all the moments in between to show up and worship and keep praying for God to move. Worship leaders, I used to lead worship a lot and would travel around, and I'm guilty of what I'm about to say. Going to churches and other people leading worship, whatever, and I, I remember a distinct phrase that I would hear and it would, it would just, it wouldn't sit well with me, but it would be like, get the lighting just right, get the band just right, you know, have everybody, if the bass player plays a wrong note, then God's probably not gonna move, that kind of thing. And, and I, would be, I remember sitting in these services and a worship leader would, you know, it'd just be, people are just standing there, they're playing good music and there were these canned phrases that felt like canned renewal, which would be like, man, can you guys just feel the presence of God in the room tonight? And I remember looking distinctly over there and I saw, you know, a couple one time were like, I can really feel the presence of God. I would hear those types of things all the time. It was insinuating something that actually wasn't real and not in faith. These canned renewals. Have we gotten to the place where we think that we have to manufacture planned revivals? Using these things should point us to Jesus they're not wrong bands and whatever man I love our band we we play great music here we have a phenomenal a phenomenal especially for a church our size worship director and team worship is alive in this church and that is amazing but I promise you this look I'm grateful for our building I'm grateful for our team I'm grateful for our band or whatever but if this building fell to the ground and the band didn't show up, God would build his church in a field. And it would be the same Holy Spirit there that it is here. All of the work that we do here is really in vain, according to the Bible, if we don't do it under the power and presence of God. Tozer says this, A.W. Tozer, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. This is a man that died several years ago, decades ago, A.W. Tozer. And if we're not careful, like Pastor Kevin Colley said last week, we will become accidental practicing deists. You know what that word means? A deist is a type of theology that believes that God exists, but he's out there somewhere and he's not really involved in our life. That's disproven, it's bad theology. If we're not careful, we'll become accidental practicing deists. Because we have to choose to believe and believe by the power of God and then act in it, practice that God the Holy Spirit is actually alive and active now. So we're gonna jump into today. Today we're talking about knowledge, wisdom, and faith. Last week, we talked about miracles, healing, and discerning of spirits. So have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 12. We're gonna start in verse eight. Words will be on the screen. Verse eight, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, 
and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit. Again, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. First off, and again, Paul is answering questions and addressing a church. The list of gifts here is not comprehensive and it's not final. There are other places in the New Testament that has a list of spiritual gifts. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, uh, 1 Peter 4, other parts of 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, he lists nine. These are not comprehensive uh, lists of gifts. And the reason I say that is because the point of this is not for there to be some straight up list that's in a box for everybody to know so that we can control it and identify ourselves with it. And the reason I bring that up is because one of the ways that the church, I think, has tried to get us to identify ourselves at times is give us one of those old school spiritual gifts tests. It'd be like 720 gifts on the test. That's probably a little exaggerative. But then you say, okay, let me take this gifts test. I really want to be number four. So I'm going to manipulate just a little bit to try and get to be number four. I want the gift of teaching, even though I struggle to teach or whatever it is. So let me just change the, so next thing you know, it just becomes a Christian personality test. And you've got two or three or four that you identify with and you go, as long as I remember that I'm numbers two and four and seven, then nobody can tell me otherwise. That becomes who I am. That means that I can actually say to you, I don't have the gift of administration. I don't need to return your phone call. I don't even have the gift of email answering. <laughs> I've heard those things before. And by the way, I'm a little bit preaching to myself right now, if I'm being honest. I don't have the gift of administration, so I don't have to do certain things. Or I don't have the, I don't have the gift of patience for uh, toddlers. Don't have that gift. It's like, really? Patience is actually one of the gifts of the Spirit that we all should have. I don't have the gift of being able to stay in a dorm room with kids at a camp and too much Axe body spray in those junior high boys. <laughs> a little too personal? Like, how about you just do the thing that the church needs and let's pray for the actual spiritual gifts? There's nothing wrong with that list of gifts. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that list of gifts, but when we start to just kind of identify with that, then it starts to get wonky, and then you start to say, like, well, I have the gift of prophecy according to the spiritual gifts test I took when I was 12. So you should actually listen to everything I say. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> Never a good idea, by the way. <laughs> this is not a comprehensive list. A gift from the Holy Spirit comes from him. And it's not all of a sudden that you identify as that person. It might be given to you in certain situations or circumstances, but there is no doubt that the gift is alive and available. When some people come to me and they say, you know, I really wanna pray for the gift of a prayer language, a tongue, or I wanna pray for the gift of prophecy or utterance of wisdom, I wanna pray for wisdom, but I don't have it and I'm frustrated. I would tell them like, you know what, one of the signs that God maybe wants to give that to you is that you desire it. So pray for it, take the risk, pray for those gifts, pray for the gift of wisdom and knowledge and faith. That sounds like a good thing for every Christian to have, amen? Let's start with wisdom and knowledge. These two things go hand in hand in scripture, the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge. 
It's what the Bible calls a revelatory gift of God, which means this, God revealing something in a moment or revealing something over time to you. They do coincide with the gift of teaching. The Bible talks about, and it makes sense, that a gift of teaching would also mean that you need to have some wisdom and some knowledge. There's been a lot of us before that have said, man, somebody said that they have the gift of teaching, but they don't feel very knowledgeable or wise. That probably means they don't have the gift of teaching. <clears throat> but have you ever been around someone who seems to just kind of make the Bible understanding? They make it come alive to you. They just find scriptures out of nowhere and it applies to conversations of their life or whatever it is. They probably have a gift of teaching. And along with that comes biblical, godly wisdom and knowledge. They know the word of God and God calls it to mind in them. That's a gift of teaching. However, the gift of wisdom and knowledge aren't just set apart for just that gift. We know that's true because actually the Bible says the gift of teaching is a gift in and of itself in Ephesians 4. So then we have to look at the fact that gifts of wisdom and knowledge actually come in other ways as well. Paul rightly points out that everyone has access to these gifts, but at times, of course, some are given more of any one gift than others because of the Spirit's will, not because of their own. Wisdom and knowledge are very revelatory by, uh, in power by the Holy Spirit, that he can give someone a unique sense of something that they would not have otherwise, that you cannot just learn. And sometimes he'll do this in such a way that it'll kind of blow your, it always blows your mind, but there's things, look, I have people in my life that I know really well. There's always things about those people that I know, the people I know the best in my life that they don't share with me. And there's things actually that sometimes people bring up to me that might be a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge from the Lord that I don't even know about myself and they'll say it and I'll be like, oh man, I've never thought about that, but that's exactly right. Anybody ever have that happen? I've had that happen multiple times. When you're given a unique sense about someone and when you take the risk, which we all need to do, to say to them, not thus saith the Lord, you're not God, let's get, let's, you know, Everybody agree? <laughs> Not thus saith the Lord, but for you to say to them, hey, I, I don't know if this is from God, but I, I kind of feel like maybe the Lord wants you, me to tell you this. Is there this thing going on in your life? Are you, having, are you struggling here? And again, I don't, I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I don't know if this is real, but I just want to edify you the best I can. So is there something I need to pray for you in this way? And I, you know, it's amazing how much I question God because most of the times that I do that, like nine out of 10 times, it's usually spot on. It usually ministers to someone. And then I walk away going, next time I'm like, oh man, I hope this works. When it's worked so much. A gift of wisdom or knowledge, unique insight into someone's life. The best example of this, of course, would be Jesus. Jesus, who was fully man, fully man, like you or me, who actually lived by the power of the Holy Spirit on earth. You ever think about Jesus in that way? Or do you just kind of dismiss, like, well, he was both God and man, so he could do all that stuff. Yes, he was God and man, but he was 100% man. And chose to live by the power of the Spirit on earth. Why? Because our example. So every miracle that Jesus ever did, ever did every um, every type of like raising people from the dead, anything that he did, preaching the gospel, anytime it made sense, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's one particular story in the Bible about Jesus in John 4, where he goes out of his way through a place called Samaria. Jews would not even go through Samaria, much less talk to anybody in Samaria, much less talk to a woman in Samaria. Jesus does the crazy thing and goes out of his way through Samaria, comes upon a well, there's a woman at the well, and he talks to her. So he's broken like every unwritten rule culturally in Israel at the time. He talks to this woman, and what does he say to her? He says, I know your life. He tells her everything that she's ever done. Gets a word of wisdom and knowledge, and then he shares the gospel with her that comes alive through the gift of the Holy Spirit and ignites her heart, and he says to her, you will return to this well if it's the only thing that you ever drink, but if you drink from me, you will never thirst again. And then she goes back into the town, remember the story? And she tells the town, she goes, let me tell you about a man who knew everything I've ever done. Spreads the gospel, gives her life to Jesus, and then spreads the gospel in the town. The gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus walked by the Spirit. Words and moments of wisdom and knowledge and power. There's also other accounts throughout the New Testament. Apostles having revelation of something that was told to them by the Spirit. Which doesn't mean audibly. It's not unique for them. It's not unique to them. It's available for us today. You remember what Jesus told his disciples? He said, I'm leaving you and it's better if I go because the helper will come to you. It's better if I go. That's for you. That's for me and you today. The church didn't just stop at the Acts of the Apostles. The church is still alive and we just as much then now need the power in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Somebody said amen. We need him. I've had dreams before. I would not consider myself, I don't even know if I have the gift of faith. I think I'm skeptical just like you are a lot of times. God comes to me in dreams sometimes. I've, I used to write songs and I've, I've written songs in a dream. Um, there's been times that God has given me certain things, knowledge. I remember one story in particular, another church I was working in years ago, a man that was married that I didn't really know that well. And uh, I mean, I kind of knew him, knew him and his wife, but not really that well. I had a dream that, it's kind of funny, that I was on a beach or that she was on a beach, this person, and that I went to go and pursue her. And in the dream, like, there had been all these random specific situations that had happened with me and this person that I couldn't even see their face. And I had to go down to Florida. <laughs> Anybody else dream about Florida? I had to go down to Florida and I had to find this person. I was gonna go pull them back and plead with them, bring them back home. And, and over time, in my dream, my face morphed into this guy's face. And then this person started to clear up and it was his wife. I went to him, I said, that was a weird dream. I said, hey, I had this dream, I don't know what it means. He's like, man, tears. He said, yesterday, my wife left for Florida. 
Florida on the beach. There's multiple crazy situations specific with this. He said, I'm going to go get her. And, and what happened was, was like, they have a longer story that's nobody else's business, but in that moment, and, and even though like there's a massive amount of brokenness that happened out of that, there's all kinds of brokenness within the story, what happened was, he gives me a big hug every time I see him, and he goes, man, you are proof that God listens to my life. I don't know this guy, I don't even, I can't even tell you, I, I think I could have told you his wife's name. That, and I'm not lying to you now. God is intimately involved in our life, and the way that he's chosen to bring his kingdom on earth is through people, through the church. You are a conduit of God's grace and his working of his kingdom in the world. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to him. Have the courage to take the risk. Trouble, though, with these gifts and all gifts comes when we start acting like we have been given them uniquely. As if we are the special people that God trusts to spill the dirt on everyone else. Can you imagine if I'd have believed that about that dream? I'd have been like, well, that settles it. I am the new prophet Jeremiah. I should cry for everybody that's not like me, be the weeping prophet. I have special insight because of that one dream that came true that one time. But that, as silly as it sounds, that is kind of what we do when we start to think that we are uniquely gifted. And then we get into this trap that everybody loves to fall into, is be the person in the know. You ever been that person or known that person that just likes to know things about people? And then they like to like, they want you to figure out that they knew something, but they don't really want to tell you because that feels a little bit too far. And so when something comes up, you're like, man, I heard this about this person. You're like, yeah, I knew that. I just didn't tell you. You ever meet that person before? Maybe some of y'all been that person. I don't know. Sometimes we fall into the same trap with the gifts and knowledge of wisdom, the gifts of the Spirit. We can fall into the ditch of thinking that we are God's special secret keeper and therefore must be better than others. It's dangerous. And it's also antithetical to the idea that gifts were given for the common good and given by the same Spirit. You have what you have because God, the Holy Spirit, has given it to you. The second this is gift of faith. I'm going to quickly talk about this. Two types of faith mentioned here. One, faith common to all who put their trust in Jesus. That's not what's happening. That is the faith that's given to you upon salvation and re-given to you to follow Jesus and trust him. That is the kind of faith that God gives in order to even believe in him because you need God to give you faith to believe in God. Do you understand that? You don't just decide one day to have faith. Faith for God comes to you from God. According to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. How can it go from being foolish to being the power of God unto salvation? God does that in you. Second this, there's a spiritual gift of faith. And that means not just like lifetime worth of faith, maybe some of you do have that, I don't know, but that is faith and belief in God for specific moments and specific things. Maybe even some of you in the room have been skeptical before, but you've had faith for even healing, sickness, for God to provide in a certain way, and you can't explain it, but God just comes on to you and gives you a unique sense of faith. Salvation for coworkers or friends. The gift of faith, the spiritual gift of faith, is not a demand on God. 
it's not the heretical thought that we can name it and claim it. I have faith for God to, believe, to give me this private jet. I don't know. That's name it, claim it theology. That's wrong in every way. Not biblical. Anti to the gospel. But it is faith to have extra belief for God to work that is unexplainable, and but also not 100% of the time. And here's why. Because doubting is a part of the Christian life. I want you to hear me say that. I'm not telling you to go out there and doubt. I'm not telling you to go look for doubting. I'm just saying, not having 100% of faith all the time, that's part of the Christian life. When faith comes to you, it comes as a gift to God to believe things that the whole world would say are crazy to believe anyway. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ, seems kind of crazy. Faith to believe it. It's faith unto salvation, and it's also the spiritual gift of faith that's given in moments for you to pray for people, to believe God for provision, and also to build the faith of others around you. Last example of this is one I would share from my own personal life, but just being surrounded by church planters. Church planters, like what in the world gives a man faith to plant a church in a hard place? But if you talk to a church planter, it's not a great career move. Any church planters in the room? It's not like you go, you know what, I think I'm gonna go make a lot of money being a pastor of a church somewhere in a really hard place. God gives them faith to do it. He gives them a unique faith. That is a gift from God for them to go and plant a church and have a career that's never gonna have a return on investment, maybe even this side of heaven, but will have a massive return on investment the other side of heaven. That's faith. My story with Shawnee is very much that. When I became the pastor here, it's a long story that I would love to tell you about over coffee someday if you want, but I became the pastor here, was, had no plans to be the pastor here, and I've tried to get out of being the pastor here several times, to be honest. And within a few months, I had gone away. Um, this is five, five and a half years ago. I had gone away for a, a few months into this, and I, I told the other elders of Frontline, I said, I need to get away and go figure out what God wants me to do with my life. Which is like, don't you wish it worked that way? Let me just go take 24 to 48 hours away from here and then I'll exactly know what God wants me to do with my life. So I said, let me go get away and came back, thought I heard from the Lord and it was just like, man, I have never in my life, never in my life, again, this was five and a half years ago, never heard God more clearly tell me that I am not supposed to be the pastor of Frontline Church in Shawnee. Went back, settled. Done deal. I know this is not the place for me. Talked to the other elders of the church. One by one, they all pastored me like good brothers and elders. Said, so, well, I think we need more time, Ben. I think we need more time. I was like, what do you mean? Now you're going against God. <laughs> Guys, because I'm the only one in this room of 10 men that hears from God, apparently. So dangerous. I walked away from that meeting and I felt the Lord really speak to me then like clearly. And I remember I was so, I felt like I had so clearly heard from God. And then I remember 1 Peter 5, which says this. 1 Peter 5 says, submit to your elders, your pastors, because they're ones keeping watch over your soul. And you know why? Your adversary is a devil. He's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
I immediately thought, okay, I need to submit to these guys because I don't want to fall. I don't want to fall. And then I felt like I heard the non-chaotic, sober voice of God that just said, hey, what does it seem like I would do? In Acts 15, you remember the story in Acts 15? Paul and Barnabas, maybe the greatest elders in the history of the church, were sent out from a church. And Can you imagine being the church that says, we're going to send Paul and Barnabas to leave our church? I probably would have just gone ahead and resigned. I'm like, there ain't no way. I can, I'm going to leave before I send the Apostle Paul. But how they came to that decision, the gift of wisdom and faith and knowledge was this. Acts 15 says, it seemed good to us and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. No handwriting on the wall. No audible voice from God. Faith. A gift of faith because this seems like the right thing to do. If I were to go, what does it seem like God would do? And you follow that, that's a gift of wisdom and knowledge and faith all working together. All right, finally, just a quick note as we close. Some questions that you guys are probably asking, I think are worth asking. So, do you have any of these gifts? Are you comfortable with even, even knowing that you have gifts? Are you even comfortable with this sermon today? How do you figure out if you have gifts? Again, we talked about that old school spiritual gifts test, which I'm not like super opposed to them, but it can get problematic. I don't have the gift of administration or kids ministry patients or some people think I only have the gift of just showing up to church and acting like I will pray for people or I have the gift of sarcasm. I've heard that a lot. Look, following the Holy Spirit and living out the gifts looks a whole lot less like taking a test and it looks a whole lot more like trusting the Holy Spirit and pursuing Him and desiring the gifts according to 1 Corinthians. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, praying for them, and then, the kicker is this, and then practicing your gifts. And I mean that in every sense of the term, practice, meaning you will surely fail. You will surely not get it right at some point. Isn't it interesting that none of us here would dare do anything in our life that required anything out of us that people would be paying attention to if we didn't practice first? I used to have, in my home growing up, brick home, I, I, would take, I took chalk and I drew a square out right about where I thought a strike zone would be. And I didn't think, you know what, I'm gonna get to the majors one day. <laughs> Eight-year-old Ben in Oak Grove, Louisiana, I'm gonna get to the majors one day. I better start practicing now. No, I just, every day, I would throw a baseball there because I was bored to death. And I wanted to be good at it. And every single day, two things would happen. I would throw the baseball, I would feel the ground ball, I would throw the baseball, try to hit the square, feel the ground ball, throw the baseball, try to hit the square. Two things happened. One, I got really good at throwing accurate. The other was my mom near about killed me every single day. When she would get home, she'd walk out and say, are you trying to knock the house down? Stop throwing the baseball here. And I didn't discover that until later on in my life when I had coaches go, man, you are so accurate. And it actually affected my life. Went on to college to play a little bit of baseball 
And so what I'm saying is this, we wouldn't dare, athletes in the room, you wouldn't dare just show up and hope it works out. You practice to get better at something. If we do that for instruments, for athletics, why in the world would we wouldn't do that for the most important thing and the only thing that's gonna last through eternity, the kingdom of God? And I know what you might be thinking is this, is wait a minute, isn't God perfect? He doesn't need practice. That's true. The gifts, the word, the faith, whatever it is, come from God perfectly. He's not the problem. You are. You're broken. You have filters. They come through him perfectly into you. They're filtered now. So practice does this. Practice helps that filter to grow a little bit. It helps you to be able to hear his voice a little more. To take the risk to go, I don't know if this is from the Lord, but I've got this word for you. Maybe it's from God, maybe not. And if they go, you know what? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. That's not for me. You walk away from that and you go, you know what? I thought I was faithful. Let me go talk to somebody else about what I said, but I was faithful to what I felt like God wanted me to say. Humility, practice, approach people. Do it in a way that requires God to work. There's a great book that I would impress upon you to get. It's called Practicing the Power by Sam Storms. It's a wonderful book, changed my life. Several stories in that book about groups that would send people out for words and gospel communication and prayer for people and they would get it wrong and over time they would start to get it right a little more because they practiced hearing the voice of God. That's a foreign concept to us, especially some of us that struggle with the Holy Spirit. Take risk, even fail at times, do it with humility. Never thus saith the Lord mentality. And finally this as we close, Ephesians 4 tells us this. I wanna invite you to think about this today. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You are saved because God the Holy Spirit opened up your heart to him. Everyone is saved by him. He is alive and functioning now. He didn't just have a job to do with the Acts of the Apostles. He has a job to do now as well. He's here to edify the church. He's here to encourage and exhort the church. He's here to give us the revelatory manifestations of his spirit, gifts, so that we can edify each other. He's here to illuminate Christ. He's here to open our heart, help us worship God. He's here to preserve us. He is God, omnipotent, omnipresent, fully here, fully everywhere. He knows everything. He has all power. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He is the reason that you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let's stand together.